Uh, we're continuing our series this week in Luke, and we're going through the Beatitudes right now. And what Jesus is doing in the Beatitudes is he's teaching how it is that we live out uh, the kingdom ethic in the world that's around us. And if, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 6. And this last weekend, I was gone because I was, uh, not, I was having a baby. My wife was having a baby, and I was there supporting her. And I have a, a little photo of my, my little girl here. There she is. That's Eliana. Her name means uh, God has provided, which really is the story of this last year for us. God provided us with another child. He provided us with this building. He's provided for my health. So uh, God has just been so faithful and so good. And the question I had, because this is my third kid, is when we had our first one, you know what it's like when you have a baby, if you've had one, this part of your heart that you didn't know existed opens up. And you thought, I don't know how I can love these squawky little gray aliens that come into the world. But then one comes out and you're like, oh my gosh, like I love you so much. And so then when we had our second child, my fear was, oh no, I'm going to be able to love Brielle as much as I love Eason because I love him so much. And then she came out and I'm like, oh, all over again. You know, there's a whole other part of your heart that unlocks. And I loved him. And I had the same question. I'm a slow learner. And I thought, am I going to be able to love Eliana as much? And then she came out and I saw her and she was squawking and wasn't that pretty looking. You know how it is. And, but like, I just loved her so much. And like, even now I'm like getting a little bit choked up just looking at her and thinking about her because that's my girl. And I would do absolutely anything for her. The way that I love my children is unlike the love that I have for anyone else. There's a lot of things I love in life. Uh, there's been a whole progression of love in my life. The first love that I remember was my little red plastic sippy cup. And I love that thing because it gave me security. It gave me a source of nourishment that I needed. And it looked really great. So I love this little cup. I had to have it everywhere I went. I was into the pacifiers too. I called them my binkies. And I had to have uh, three in my mouth at a time. That's why I had so much dental work. Thank you, pacifiers. <laughs> and then I had to have one in each hand. So I had five passies with me at all times. And I loved my passies because they gave something to me. And then I think I loved hamburgers was my next love. And I called them hungry bears because I couldn't say hamburgers. <laughs> and hungry bears sounds way cooler anyways. And so I was like, I love hamburgers. And then I remember I got my first girlfriend. And I was like, this part of my heart unlocks. I'm like, oh, I love her. Like, she completes me. We're eighth graders. And now I'm finally, I remember telling my parents, like, you don't know what love is. You've never been in love like we're in love. We love each other with the fire of a thousand suns. So we're going to be forever together. And then I got the, like, the little note in literature class. And it said, I want to break up with you. I'm like, no. I'm like crying in lit class. My teacher thought I was just so moved by poetry, but my little heart had been just absolutely torn apart. And then I went on and I discovered other things that I love, and then eventually I found Anna, God connected us, and I learned to love her. And that's really the truth. We, we learn to love our spouses. You think you're in love when you get married, and then you get married and you think, am I in love with this person? <laughs> and then you figure out how to love that person. Because what you have before you're married, that's like hormones and chemical responses and biological things going on. Then you get married, and then you actually learn to love someone, and then they become your soulmate. Nobody is your soulmate until you've gone to battle with them. <laughs> and then I learned to love her, 
and like, we love each other more every single day, and I'm so grateful for it, and she loves me in spite of all of my flaws and how messed up I am and how I tell stories about us on stage. <laughs> but then there's the love that I have for my children, and it's different than any of the other loves. Because my red sippy cup, my pacifiers, the eighth grade girlfriend, my wife, uh, hungry bears, they all provided me with something. They were all giving something to me. Like I never would have married my wife if I thought, this person, I'm going to spend like the next two years changing her diaper. She's going to scream all night long. I'm going to like, she's not going to provide anything for me. She's just going to take from me. Like I would not marry that person. There would be nothing <laughs> about that deal that would seem attractive to me. There's some selfishness in my marriage relationship because I married her because there was something that she was giving back to me. That doesn't happen with a baby. They give nothing to you. And this is really cold and calculated sounding, but like my nine-day-old little girl, she doesn't love me. She doesn't know what love is. If you had a, a, a bottle and I didn't, she would choose you over me. Like <laughs> 10 times out of 10, and that's the truth of it. She will learn to love me someday, I hope. But right now, there is nothing about my relationship with her words, I'm receiving from her. It's me, I'm giving to her. I'm giving to her. She's taking from me, and I'm glad to give to her. There's nothing that she needs that I would withhold from her. I would go to the ends of the earth. I would bankrupt myself. I would lay my very life down for the prosperity of this little girl, even though she's done nothing for me. Why is that? Because maybe it's the truest sense of love that we get to experience as humans. Is that we love someone, our, our infants, who give absolutely nothing back to us. They do nothing but take from us. But we love them and we're passionately committed to them. And we count it a joy to be able to demonstrate love to them. That's, it. that's love. It's a passionate commitment to someone. It's a sacrifice that's going on. It's you giving. It's you pouring yourself out for them, for their betterment and for their well-being without any concern for yourself and what it is that they're going to give to you. That's love. That's something that nobody had to teach me to do as a parent. It's something that was just awoken inside of me when I held my child for the first time. And it's something that it doesn't matter where you are in this world, what culture you're part of, whatever. That's just something that God has hardwired into the heart of every person. And if that doesn't happen with you, there's something wrong. That's not normal. That's the way that we're created to be. But do we love other people like that? Why don't we love other people like that? Is that the way that we're supposed to love other people? What would the world be like if we loved other people the way that we love our children? Where it wasn't about what we can get back from them. It was just solely about demonstrating love, sacrificially pouring yourself out for them, expecting absolutely nothing in return. That kind of love goes against everything that we've experienced relationally. It goes against every cultural pattern. It goes against every social norm. We're not expected to love anybody like that. There's no, I mean, nobody would ever think you to be wrong or immoral if you don't love everyone like that. But what we discover from Jesus is he's teaching through the ethic of the kingdom of heaven and the way that we live out the culture of the kingdom of heaven here on earth now is that that's exactly the way that we've been called to love other people. And he says this in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. 
But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Now of all of the teachings of Jesus, this might be the hardest one. This might be the one that goes against the grain. This is the one that we look at it and it's easy to try to say, okay, this is an analogy, this is all an allegory, it's a nice idea that we're supposed to live according to, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is laying out for us the call that we all have as children of God, and that call is that we are to love our enemies. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, not just to love people, not just to love our children or our spouses, not just to love other people that are in our church. We're supposed to do all of those things, not just to love people who are marginal in society. He says that we're supposed to love everybody, even our enemies. That's rough. Like when you read that, that's the easy part to just skip over, keep reading. Okay, let's get back to something about me getting blessed somewhere. Like, like I want that part, Jesus. Talk about my identity. Um, but Jesus is telling everybody's gathered around him. They're all listening to him. And he says, I want you to love your enemies. That's my call to you. That's my teaching to you. That's what you have to do if you want to be one of my disciples. If you want to be one of my followers, the way that you do that is by loving even your enemies. Now, you have to contextualize this. Who are the enemies that the people are hearing this are thinking of? For them, that's the Romans. No doubt about it. The Romans are an occupying force that has come, destroyed their temple, has destroyed their culture, their way of life, has uh, just treating them absolutely terribly. And Jesus is telling them, I want you to love these people, these Romans who are destroying you, who hate you, who despise you, revile you. These are the people that I'm calling you to love. Who are your enemies? Let's not just make this an exercise if that's a good principle, but like, let's really dig down in it this week and say, if God's called me to live in this way as a follower of him, what does that mean for how I have to live? Well, who's your enemies? And the way that you can answer that is who do you think is responsible for everything that's wrong in our nation? Like if I said, hey, who's ruining America? Right now, there's someone that comes to your mind. What's the problem with our society? You don't think of a concept. Usually you think of a person or a people group. You think of a, you think, oh, it's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's, you know, the far left, the far right. It, it's whatever it is. You might think of, you know, like it's a people group. It's a class of people, whatever. But when you think of what is wrong with America, who are the people that are impeding my way to live life the way I want to live it? Uh, what's wrong with this world? Those are the people that are your enemies. Maybe it's more personal for you. Maybe there's someone that's in your family. 
uh, that just does nothing but cause you strife and heartache. Maybe there's someone at work. Have uh, you ever had the person that's not your boss that thinks that they are your boss? Yeah, you, I've probably been that person before. <laughs> we probably have all been that person before, if we're really honest. But we have enemies. Sorry about that. My mic is popping. We have people who we think are what's wrong. Those are the ones that are the trouble for us. They're the ones that, like, God, if, if one person on this earth could disappear, like, could it be this person? God, if you could just pour out your wrath on this one person. I know it's been a while. Uh, but if someone's got to get transferred to Siberia, could it be this person? That's your enemy. And how do you feel towards them? Because Jesus calls us to love them. And then Jesus, not only does he call us to love our enemies, but he tells us how to love our enemies. He makes it real plain. He spells it out for us. He says, I want you to do good to those who hate you. He doesn't say, I want you to tolerate them. I want you to accept them. I want you to just leave them alone. He says, the people that hate you in life, I'm calling you to do good to them. I want you to go out of your way, and I want you to do something good for the benefit of this person that's your enemy. And now you're thinking, if I gave you a gift, like, oh my gosh, does Jeremy hate me? No, I just like to do that for people. Are you doing good for your enemies? Maybe you've just been tolerating them and you thought that was pretty big of you. Jesus says, I want you to do good to those who hate you. He says, I want you to bless those who curse you. Have you ever had someone that's cursed you now, like put a spell on you or whatever, though maybe they tried to do that, that'd be super weird. But the people that are speaking ill of you, the people who want nothing but bad to happen to you, are you blessing those people? Do you have a heart to bless those who are cursing you? Do you pray for those who hurt you? We've all been hurt by someone. Maybe it's been you've been physically hurt by someone. Uh, if not, you've certainly been emotionally hurt by someone. Someone has said something bad about you. What are you doing for those people when they do that? Are you praying for them? And not praying like God smite them. There's this old Irish prayer I loved as a kid. It said, God turn their heart or turn their ankles. <laughs> and like I thought that was really clever I was like I found a cheat way around this I can pray for them and still like have bad intention for what I want to have happen to them but God says these people that are hurting you he wants us to pray for them he wants us to pray blessings on them he wants us to pray for their hearts to be changed and to be restored he wants us to continue to do good things to them when we're abused by other people, he says, I don't want you to retaliate against them. He says, when someone strikes you, think about this. As bad as that is, when someone comes up and they actually hit you, Jesus says to that person, I don't want you to hit them back. That would be what we would have the right to do, right? And legally, if someone hits you, you have the right to defend yourself. But not as sons and daughters of Jesus, we don't. He says, when someone strikes you, everything inside of you wants to hit them back, but I'm telling you to turn the other cheek to them. Now, that's an easy philosophy to have until you get hit by someone. I think most of us are pacifist in, until we get into a fight, until something bad happens to us, and then there's a part of us that wakes up. Now, one of the big things is, like, you never hit a girl, right? 
That's what my parents told me. My parents, my dad told me, he said, I have a friend who runs the Air Force Base in Alaska, and if you ever hit one of your sisters, I am going to send you there. I don't know if he has a friend in Alaska. I don't know if he runs an Air Force Base. But my dad was serious. He would make a friend up there. So my sisters, like, they found that out. So they'd hit me all the time, and they couldn't do any, I couldn't do anything back about it. And so then I remember I started doing martial arts, and I remember when we got old enough, we started actually, like, hitting each other. And the first time I had to spar with someone, it was a girl. And I was like, there is no way that I can do this. Because I was, like, 14, and she was, like, 40. And so she was physically dominant over me. <laughs> but I'm like, there's no way I'm going to hit this girl. And like, no, it's okay, like, we, we can do this. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to, I can't hit you. Like, this just, this is wrong. I cannot do this. And she kicked me in the head so hard <laughs> that, like, I, like, the vision started going out, and I was dizzy. And I was like, okay, it's on now. <laughs> <laughs> and she beat the snot out of me for years. I never beat her. But when someone strikes you, something wakes up inside of you. There's like that you want to strike this person back. Jesus says, when someone strikes you, I want you to turn the other cheek so they can hit that one too. Jesus, that's a real bad idea. And think about it for the Jews that are hearing this. This is real to them. It's not that they might at some point be at a dojo where they have to hit someone else in a sporting contest. It's Roman soldiers are walking around and they can pummel them and beat them for sport, and there's no legal repercussions for that. They're used to being physically abused by their oppressors. And Jesus doesn't come and say, hey, you know, we've got to stand up and we've got to resist and we've got to do all of these other things. He says to the person that's abusing you, when they strike you, you turn the other cheek to them. Because what's more important isn't your personal liberties and your personal freedoms. The most important thing is the ethic of love that we live our life by. He goes on and he says, treat others the way, oh, when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Roman soldiers, by right, could come up and demand your clothes from you. And Matthew says, you know, if they demand your tunic, give them your shorts or whatever else also along with that. But they could come and they could take anything that they wanted from you at any given time. And Jesus says, instead of trying to resist them, instead of trying to get it back from them, give them the rest of your clothes. Now, maybe that's some kind of a weird thing if they don't want to look at a naked person. Probably not. He's just saying that what someone's trying to take from you, give it to them. Don't try to hold on to things for yourself. And he says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. And that's not something that Jesus came up with. That wasn't his philosophy. That was something that had been a part of ancient Greek culture. It had been something that was a part of Jewish culture. But the motivation behind it was different. See, in the Roman world, there was a system called patronage. And it was the way the entire political system of oppression worked. Was you had people that, as the Roman emperor, you said, okay, I'm going to give you lands that you're going to oversee. I'm going to give you places to live. I'm going to give you authority over people. But... In order to get that, you're going to have to pledge your support to me. So, if push comes to shove, I did this for you, so now you have to do something back for me. So then the people that are getting lands, well, they give out control and authority over their lands into smaller groups of people and say, okay, I'm going to give you this land for you to farm. But, because I'm giving you this land to farm, now you're going to have to owe me a favor. You're going to have to support me in doing this. You might not like me, and that's okay, but I'm going to give you something, and you're going to give me something in return. I'm going to be able to count on you for support at some point in the future. 
That's the whole system. That's how the Roman government was able to control their entire empire and continue to oppress people. It's all a system of I'm doing something for you, so you have to be loyal to me, and then you have to get people underneath you to be loyal to you who are then in turn loyal to me, and you just keep working your way down the entire system. That was how they kept, that was the entire political system was run on this principle, and it worked beautifully for them for centuries. They were able to do this. And so what Jesus says is I want you to treat other people the way that you want to be treated, end of sentence. Not so you can get something back from someone. Not so other people are going to owe you a favor. Not so other people are going to support you. But because that's the way that we live in the kingdom of God. We don't think about ourselves. We're not concerned about our own well-being we're more concerned about the prospering of other people. That's what love is. That's the ethic that drives the entire kingdom of God. Patronage, the owing people things, doing things for people to get something out of them, that's the way the world works. But the way the kingdom of God works is God does something inside of our hearts just like when that baby's born and the little gray alien comes out squawking and they give you nothing, they just take from you over and over and over again, but you continue to give and you give and you give to them because you love them and you don't think about yourself, you just think about what's best for them. That's the same heart that we have to have now towards everyone else in this world. It's the same heart that we have to have towards those who are our enemies. Not thinking about what's best for us, not even thinking about what's fair not thinking about even what is just. We think about what is love. And how do I use my life and how do I use everything that God has given me to live out the kingdom ethic of love in the world in which I find myself? Not just to the people in my family. It's easy to love your family like that. It's hard not to be like that towards your kids. Like, I know you're never supposed to use Hitler in an analogy, but I'm sure even Hitler's mom loved him. Like, your kids, some of you, your kids are terrible, and you don't even know it because you just love them, and it should be that way. You should love your kids. My kids, if they grow up and they're terrible people, will I be disappointed? Yes, but I'm not going to be like, you're not my children anymore. I don't love you anymore. It doesn't matter what they do. I'm going to love my children, and I'm going to believe in the best for them, and I'm going to pour myself out for their benefit every single day of my life. This is one of the things I tell my kids every night before they go to bed. Say, hey, what I tell you to remember and to never forget? And they say, tell me again. I said, I love you, and I'll always love you because you're my son and because you're my daughter. And they smile. I say, do I love you because you're good? They say, no. I say, do I love you when you're bad? Yes. Do I love you when you're happy? Do I love you when you're sad? Do I love you when you're silly? Do I love you when you're mad? I will always love you because you are my son. You are my daughter. This is our ritual every night before we go to bed because I want them to know that. And it's true. That's the way we all feel towards our kids. But do we feel that way towards other people? It's really easy for us to love people that are nice to us. I have great friends. It's really easy for me to love my friends, even when they do stupid stuff, because we all do that, and I recognize that about all of us, and I do stupid stuff to them. But we love each other in spite of that. 
It's really hard to love people that hate you. It's really hard to give sacrificially to people that hate you, to take the meals when something's wrong. It's hard to pray God's blessing and his favor over them. It's hard to love those who oppress you and would take things from you and to give to them when they try to take something from you and to give even more to them. It's hard to turn the other cheek when someone strikes you. It's hard to, to bless those who are abusing you. But it's the way that God has called us to live our life. This is something I ask myself. It's that same thing I do for my kids, but like I flip it around a little bit. And when someone's like really grating against me or someone like is just like hate is what I feel towards them instead of love and it's difficult for me to give sacrificially to them, I do that whole thing that I do for my kids. But I flip it around a little bit. I do the, do I love them when they're good? Yes. Do I love them when they're bad? I'm trying. Yes, I guess. When they're happy, sad. And then I get to the end and I say, why do I love them? Because I'm a son of God. Has nothing to do with who they are has everything to do with who I am, who God's made me to be, who God's called me to be. Because this is the third thing. Jesus says that loving your enemies will prove that you are children of God. When you see pictures of my kids, it's pretty easy to tell that they're my kids. Um, they're probably going to have to hide from the sun most of their life, just like I have to. There's a resemblance to your parents in most cases. There has to be a resemblance to our Heavenly Father. And that's the way. If we just say, hey, I believe these things, you know, belief is where it starts for you in faith, but beliefs then lead to actions. And your actions tell you what it is that you really believe. If we go on hating people, if we go on hating, uh, well, one of the things says, they're going to know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That the love that we have for other brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not even talking about the whole world, this is talking about we in the church. Uh, it's easy to get perturbed by people in the church because it's a gathering of people from all different walks of lives, from different places, all different brokennesses and, and all that stuff, and we come together into one family. It's hard enough with one family and one culture that grew up together to get along a lot of times. When you bring a whole bunch of people together, there's more opportunity for friction. So it shows that something supernatural is going on when we as a church have supernatural love for each other. People notice that. One of the biggest reasons why people come to church or stick in a church is because of the love that they feel and they experience with other people. It's because of the community that they're able to enter into. People come to church because they're broken or they need something, but they stay because they find love and acceptance. But Jesus said, I don't want you to just love other people that are followers of Jesus. I want you to love even your enemies and when you love your enemies, that's going to be the proof that you're really my children. That's going to be the proof that you really look like me. If you aren't living a life where you're loving your enemies, then there's become some disconnect between your actions and your beliefs, or it shows that your beliefs are wrong, and therefore you have wrong actions that are coming out of you. If you're listening to this, you might be thinking, this is like a suicide pact. I'm supposed to bless everybody that hates me. I'm supposed to give to people who are going to take things from me. I'm supposed to let people beat me up and abuse me. Like, th this is not going to end well for me. Like that, I mean, I love people always talking about, is this a suicide pact, whatever. Well, with Christianity, yes, it is. That's the point. You see, the old life I was living, that wasn't a good life. 
that wasn't the life that God made me to live. That wasn't the life that I was called to. And what I had to do is say, I'm putting to death that old life that was trying to look out for me. I'm putting to death the old life that hated other people. I'm putting to death the old life of where I was just seeking after my own interests. I was concerned about what was fair. I was just trying to make sure everything was going to go well for me. That old life has to die. Because we have to become like our father. And when we live a life where we're humbly loving and serving and giving to other people, not trying to worry about what's best for us, but just loving other people and doing what's best for them, that's when we're going to really be living as children of God. That proves that we're the children of God because there is no other culture, there's no other religion, there's no other system in all of the world that is like that. There's a lot of things in Christianity, when you come to them, it'll either become the stumbling block for you in your faith, and you say, I just can't get over this. And your faith will stall out at that point. Or it becomes a rock that crushes you. And that sounds bad, but it's really good. Because when you get crushed by a rock, it breaks you so that Jesus can come and he can heal you and do something in you. If you're having trouble loving other people, then it means that your pride and that your prejudices, that your hate, your love of self, that has to die. That has to be crushed. And Jesus will do that to you, and he will do it for you if you let him. Because this isn't something that's naturally the way that we're going to live our lives. It takes the supernatural work of God inside of our hearts to be able to love others in this way. It takes the supernatural work of God to be able to open up our hearts to the point of where we love our enemies. And then number four, it says, uh, Jesus loved you when you were his enemy. He ends it like this. He says that we have to love other people just as God loves the ungrateful and the wicked. It gets easy to think that we're deserving of God's love for us, or maybe that God only loves those who love him. But what it says is that God loves those who are ungrateful for what it is that he's done, and he loves the wicked. Who are the wicked? That was me. That was us. When we came to the place of where we realized how great God's love was for us, we weren't deserving of his love. We were ungrateful. We were the wicked. It says that we were living our lives as enemies of the cross. But God didn't hate us because we hated him. God didn't hate us because we despised him. God didn't hate us when we abused him. We took and we took from him and we weren't grateful for it. And he continued to give and to give to us over and over again. He continued to bless us. He provided a way for salvation for us. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins when we were giving him nothing. He went to the cross and he died for us when we were living a life actively opposed to him that was living in open rebellion of him. He went to the cross when we were doing the worst things that any of us have ever done. Why did he do that? Because he loves the ungrateful and he loves the wicked. And that's where we all were. That's the place we were all at. And we can't ever forget that. Every day, we have to just be overwhelmed once again by how great God's love is for us.
every day is, Jesus, I don't deserve this. And when we're doing our worship time, the reason I'm on my knees or I'm raising my hands and I'm singing along in the quiet spots is because of what Jesus has done for me. And I still can't get over it. So like when I look at my little daughter, I can't get over her. When I think about what it is that Jesus has done for me, I just can't get over it because I didn't deserve it. His love is so great for us. And that's where this whole life following Jesus starts is this realization of how great God's love is for us. It's what takes us to the place of where we repent of our sins and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross for me to forgive my sins. That when I was ungrateful and wicked, you still loved me enough to die in my place. Jesus, I believe that through you I have the forgiveness of sins. I believe that through you I have life everlasting. And from this day forward, I'm going to spend every moment, every second of my life following after you. God, you're the Lord of my life now. And this is one of these stones now that we come up to. Say, Jesus, in this new life that you've called me to, I have to love my enemies. But that's not something I'm capable of doing with my own strength. Jesus, I need you to do something inside of my heart. I need you to do something supernatural so that I can forgive. God, I need you to do something supernatural inside of my heart so I can let go of offense. God, I need you to do something supernatural in my heart so I can stop just thinking of my own best interest. And I can think more about those who are my enemies than I do about even myself. God, I don't want to be someone that's looking out for justice for myself and what I deserve and what's fair for me. God, I want your mercy to be extended to all of those who are far from you. And this morning, if God's speaking to you and maybe he's been showing you that you do need to love your enemies, maybe you thought you had some victory in this area and now God's revealing to you uh, a people group or something that, or someone that you need to be able to forgive and that you need to be able to love, a way that you need to be able to give of yourself to someone else. And this morning, don't harden your heart. Enter into that process. Let Jesus do something in you this morning. Can you stand with me this morning as we pray? God, this morning we're so grateful that you first loved us. Jesus, would you help me to love other people? Would you help me to love my enemies? And this morning, if God's speaking to you and you wanted to do something in your heart so that that can happen, you've been trying or maybe you haven't been trying, but you know that you can't do this on your own. You, know, you, you need Jesus to do something inside of your heart so you can love your enemies. You just slip up your hand. So I say, God, I'm, it's me. God, do something in my heart. Jesus, do something in me. Thank you. Thank you, God sees us. Thank you. And we're going to pray this together, all right? God, thank you for your love. God, would you break me fresh and new with how great your love is for me. God, would you remind every heart here of where we were before you found us. How ungrateful and how wicked we were. God, would you crush our pride? Would you crush our selfishness?
and would you remake us in your image? God, would you fill us with supernatural, unexplainable love for others? God, we're letting go of looking out for ourselves. God, everything we have, everything that we are, would it be used to demonstrate the ethic of the kingdom of heaven that is love? And God, as people see the way that you love them and that we love them in turn, Jesus, would it do something inside of their hearts that would take them to the place of repentance? God, that they would see your goodness in the way that they encounter you through our love for them. Jesus, this morning we're re-upping. You're the Lord of our life. We're repenting of our sins. We're receiving, once again, the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives to bear fruit, to fill us with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to send us out and to empower us to live as children of the living God, the God Most High. God, our city is hurt and it's broken. Our families, our friends, our workplaces, our nation, it's hurt and it's broken. It's so desperately in need of your love. God, send us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.